Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. The kick ahead. And Dufty's chasing it. Seconds of the game, St George, Illawarra to the death, trying. Brown goes to the air, going back is Mabel, oh. leaping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart. He has scored an incredible drive that ties this small game up. Bartram from 18 metres out, he strikes it nicely. St George, Illawarra win for the first time in their Premiership line. Here's Nathan Blacklock. Down the sideline, chipping over the top of John Kane. Got a red service bounce to win the game for the Dragons and book himself a New South Wales Blues origin jump. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red V Podcast, episode 93 coming at you tonight with Jack Lifton and Corey Hammond bringing you through all the latest news in regards to the St. George Illawarra Dragons. It's a packed show that we have for you tonight. We're going to continue our chat with uh, the great Ashton Sims. We'll be playing part two of that interview a little bit later on uh, tonight during the podcast. He talks about the, I guess, the painful years uh, for St. George Illawarra between uh, 2004 and 2006 and dealing, I guess, with that expectation. He also also talks about getting to represent Fiji and uh, what he's up to these days with uh, doing some great work as the group manager uh, down there in Group 7. We're also going to be chatting with Jamie Soward. He's been installed as the new NRLW coach for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. We're talking to him about that and also about his role uh, with the Dragons' first grade setup. And we'll also answer your fans' questions and round up the latest in Dragons news and updates. Well, Corey Hammond did such a good job last week that he's uh, been able to usurp uh, Johnny uh, Johnny Pett into that uh, starting position. Johnny is a uh, on the extended bench for another week. Hopefully we see him uh, back next week, uh, but delighted to be chatting footy with you once again, Corey. How are you doing this afternoon, Hamo? Yeah, I'm great, mate. Two, I've strung two together. Unbelievable. Two in a row. My footy career could have been the same. <laughs> well, that's right. Consistency is not something that we, we know an awful lot about uh, as Dragons fans, mate. But uh, great to have you on board and, <laughs> and plenty of, of news to talk about as well, Hamo, especially with, I guess, the, the restructure and, and the changing in, in coaching personnel that, I guess, became a bit of news late last week. Um, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. I guess, what were your initial thoughts of what's happening down there at Dragons HQ? Yeah, for me, it came as a little bit of a surprise. I hadn't heard any rumblings about the upheaval and the changes, but I think some fresh eyes and and some fresh perspective on things might be might be good. Obviously, Matt Head was appointed coach of the NRLW side, and because of circumstances out of his control, he never actually got to coach them at mm. all uh, in a game. And um, he's been given a promotion, if if you'd like to call it, uh, if you'd like to call it that, as an assistant coach to the NRL side and. 
that will only enhance his prospects of becoming a head NRL coach down the track, which I'm sure he probably has ambitions of doing because he has been in the coaching caper for a little while. Matt Head, he's a very smart mind. And then Jamie Soward, well, we all know what he's done at player level. He's been very active in terms of his media career and now he's tried his hand at coaching. He obviously was a bit of a consultant last mm. year, a bit of a kicking consultant for the Dragons. Now he takes on that full-time head coaching role for the NRLW side. And it's going to be very exciting to, to see what he can do there because it has been a, a lean few years. And you'd probably say the Dragons underachieved with the NRLW squad they had. So uh, looking forward to seeing what Sowie can do there. Yeah, let's get stuck into your Dragons news and updates or we'll address all of that and a bit more on your Dragons news and updates section. Well, as we touched on just briefly, some personnel changes for the Dragons coaching staff as we head into the 2022 uh, preseason. And uh, as Hammer was talking about uh, just before, um, Jamie Soward being instilled as the new NRLW coach. Uh, Elsewhere, uh, Matt Head, he's moved um, up to uh, to be coaching, um, will be the assistant coach to um, Anthony Griffin. Um, So that was a role that he took on in an interim basis uh, last season. That means that Matthew Elliott um, will, uh, I guess, be moved on from the assistant coaching role, but he's still going to be staying with the Dragons. He's moved in um, to an organizational-wide leadership and culture development role, so we'll still see uh, Matty around the club, and that was something that he uh, kind of um, led us to believe uh, when we chatted with him a couple of months ago here on uh, the Red V uh, podcast. Uh, Peter Gentle will remain as Griffin's other um, NRL assistant, and of course, Jamie Soward, um, he's going to be uh, taking on the uh, the role um, of the uh, the NRLW coach. coach there for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Also going to be working uh, with that uh, Dragons Academy um, as well. And finally, uh, Russell Aitken, who uh, who was coaching the uh, New South Wales Cup St. George Illawarra side last year, he'll stay in that role and will also add uh, as Dragons development coach to his responsibilities in in 2022. And Ryan Bailey uh, is also returned to the club as an athletic uh, development coach as well. So he'll be working uh, fairly intensively with the NRLW performance manager, but also with the NRL side uh, as well. As you you, you touched on a little bit before, Hamo. Um, a couple of kind of interesting changes there, but obviously the Dragons um, like what they what they see in terms of Matty Head and Jamie Soward uh, being involved with uh, with the, with the club. I guess at a, a more uh, intensive um, uh, look at it, um, and we'll chat with Jamie about that in in a little while here on the podcast. But um, yeah, potentially some 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 good moves here by Hook Griffin. Well, he needs to try something, doesn't he? I guess the old saying goes that what's the definition of insanity? It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. You've got to look at Hook's first season and would you give him a pass, Mark? Probably not. Mm. Probably not. I mean, I know he was probably on a hiding to nothing because he inherited a squad, but if he wants to make improvements, he's got to see what worked last season, what didn't and then he's got to implement those changes. And, well, he's done that. He's brought in some fresh players. He's now brought in some fresh perspectives on the coaching and high-performance side of things. So less and less excuses for poor performances Mm. in 2022 for Anthony Griffin. He's got more things his own way now. So uh, that just turns up the pressure a little bit. But 
it's uh, it'll be an interesting watch. Yeah, preseason is going to be interesting over the next couple of months and see how the Dragons develop. Matty Head obviously had a, a pretty good reputation down in the, the New South Wales Cup system where he coached down there for a little while, especially the development of some of those young players that have gone on to play first grade at other clubs. You, you look at, at uh, guys like Luciano Leilua, Matt Dufty was even uh, was uh, down there for a little while. Uh, Hame Sele was another one. Um, Jordy, Jordan Pereira obviously spent some, some time down there. And you also have Pat Herbert and Ruben Garrick who played a lot of New South Wales Cup. We now know that they're flourishing in, in other uh, NRL systems. So it'll be interesting to see whether he can have that same impact on the, the current crop of youngsters uh, that are in that Dragons first grade setup. The only other bit of uh, Dragons news and updates that we have, it's been a bit of a quiet week in regards to the Red V, uh, is that of a player departure. Durante Dur- uh, uh, Luai is, uh, Dante Luai is on his way out from the Dragons. He played uh, a fair bit of under 20s for the Red V this season. He started uh, the season off in the SG Ball Cup competition. Uh, for the St. George Dragons, funnily enough, he's a Cairns boy, Dante Ray, and uh, has made the move down here, but an opportunity has arisen at, at Parramatta, probably more due to the fact that they probably haven't quite got the halves depth or quality halves depth that uh, the St. George Illawarra Dragons do. Obviously, uh, Dante Ray will be behind uh, a few uh, in the pecking order there for the Red V, but he's going to be playing, uh, looking like New South Wales Cup for Parramatta this year, and if Mitch Moses was to get uh, some representative honours, then uh, he would uh, get an opportunity to play in in first grade. So, uh, a great opportunity there for Dante Ray, and we wish him all the best um, at the uh, at the Parramatta Reels, and thank him for his service in, in both the SG Ball Cup and, and also uh, the New South Wales, or the uh, New South Wales Rugby League with the Jersey Fleet as well, so um, best of luck to him. But that pretty much wraps up all of our Dragons news and updates uh, for this week. Uh, not too much out there, as uh, you can understand. Cricket season really starting to uh, to morph into, into being, and uh, not too much uh, Rugby League news when it uh, relates to the St. George Illawarra Dragons, but we'll continue uh, to keep you updated each and every week here on the Red V Podcast. We're going to take our first break here on the podcast in episode 93, and on the other side of that, we're going to be chatting with Jamie Soward. He's the new NRLW coach for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. We're going to talk about how that came to pass, his excitement of uh, what uh, the 2022 season could hold, what a, a Jamie Soward coach side might look like, as well as uh, his uh, contributions that he's con- going to continue to be doing uh, with the Dragons first grade squad and some of those uh, young halves uh, that are coming through the system at the St. George Illawarra Dragons. That's coming up next here on the Red V Podcast. Welcome back to the Red V Podcast. Jack Clifton and Corey Hammond bring you up to date with everything about the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Uh, there was big news as we spoke about in our Dragons news and updates section just before with uh, Jamie Soward, the former Premiership winner for the Dragons, being signed on as the NRLW coach of the St. George Illawarra Dragons. He's also going to continue his work with the Red V first grade squad, uh, working with the halves in both a kicking and halves coach uh, position. And Jamie's been good enough to give up a little bit of time this afternoon and chat about uh, the, well, I guess one new role but uh, the two roles are moving forward for the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Sowie, thanks for joining us on the Red V Podcast, mate. How are you travelling? Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. It's uh, nice to be working with the Dragons in a full-time capacity and um, yeah, there's been a couple of late nights preparing uh, not only the NRLW stuff but also getting my head around um, playbooks and stuff like that. Uh, forgot how uh, incredibly full-on it was living back in that NRL bubble, but mm. also bursting with excitement um, to be able to, to be back. Well, congratulations on the appointment as the NRLW coach. And there's lots of Dragons fans that have been ecstatic, not at just that selection, um, Jamie, but you being involved back with the Dragons over the last uh, couple of years. How did everything come together? Because um, it was it probably caught a lot of Dragons fans by surprise when the news broke late last week. 
Yeah, so I, I probably um, always wanted to maybe get into coaching. I thought it was going to happen a lot later in life after I'd had some experiences with kids and, you know, gone that route. But last year, you know, Hook was, um, you know, good enough to sit down and we sort of worked on the, the halves, you know, planning and stuff like that as best as we could and our kicking game. And, you know, I'd like to think that we saw the fruits of that, um, you know, working closely with Ben and, and also Corey and, and our young players, um, you know, we saw that early on, you know, how important that is. Now the bubble changed everything. So, um, you know, I, I didn't have that contact, that day-to-day contact and, you know, with my other work. So pretty much, um, yeah, got got to the end of the year and, and um, you know, had a chat with Hook and, and Benny Harron and spoke about my passion for the club, you know, my desires to be uh, involved in the in the day-to-day stuff, whether it be filling up the water bottles or whatever. I just wanted to be there mm. at, on a full-time uh, capacity so that I could help, uh, you know, win uh, footy games. So they approached me about the NRLW head coach and to say I was uh, excited was probably understating it. I was I was ecstatic. You know, there's a special bunch of girls uh, that we've got involved in our NRLW program and yeah, to be able to, to sit down and talk to them over the last two weeks um, has been really exciting for me. And, you know, I, I haven't driven to work probably for a long time mm. wanting to get to work. And, and at the moment, uh, we haven't played a game, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a, a real dream. And, you know, to be back at a club where you win a premiership, so I think it's important, but it's also special for me because I, you know, I've got such a, an attachment to the Red V. So, yeah, really excited to be in the NRLW program and, and hopefully getting us to win some games. Jamie, is it going to be a bit of a case of, I guess, learning on the run, the fact that you don't have any head coaching experience at, at the moment? Who are who are some of the staff that you got around you in that Dragons NRLW setup? Yeah, so I guess once it came out, um, that was going to be the question I had to answer. And you know, I actually interviewed Billy Slater when he got the, the Queensland origin job and asked him the same question, you know, you don't have any experience. And, you know, I really liked his answer and, and how he, he spoke about, you know, whilst he doesn't have any coaching experience, the same as myself, you know, we've got a lot of footy knowledge and, mm. and we know it, you know, inside out. So, um, you know, I've got a, a really good staff. Uh, we're just working through, you know, potentially an assistant coach and, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, but um, at the moment, you know, Alicia Kate Hawke has, has been there, on the welfare side of things and, and helping me out with the squad. Uh, and then also, you know, we've got um, Steve Nelson as well, the manager. So those two people have been fantastic in helping me, you know, get the ropes. And then, of course, you know, Hetty, you know, I, I probably didn't realise how much work had gone into actually getting this squad together. And, mm. you know, Hetty's done a fantastic job in putting this squad together and recruiting really well. So, um, you know, a lot of his stuff is sort of pick up and, and run with, a lot of his stuff because we do see the game very similarly. So, um, yeah, it was, it's a, for me, it, it will be a learn on the run experience. But in saying that, you know, I, I trust that I know, you know, I, I've had out of the eight coaches I've had as an NRL player or been in the NRL system, six of them won premierships. So, mm. um, yeah, I think I'd like to know a little bit. Well, I'd like to think I know a little bit about what it takes to win, plus my own experience as well. You know, you don't learn. Everyone had to be a coach for the first time at some stage in their life. And for me, um, it's a big appointment, but a challenge. And I think I'm, I'm excited and ready for it. 
Jamie, what are you excited about heading into the NRLW season with this this Dragon side? They've got a, a lot of quality throughout the the ranks, and we've got some some real young girls coming through that have shown a lot of flair in in underage groups. What are you excited about when you you work with the Dragons Red V women's side? Yeah, I think I look instantly at our forward pack. You know, I, I really feel like the connection you know I've made with Kezi, you know, and getting her back to playing her best footy is something that I was excited about when the opportunity came up. You know, we've got quality in our forward pack with Kezi and also Holly Wheeler. And then, you know, I've got the two best number nines in the comp with the way the draft worked out with, you know, Quincy Dodd and also Keely Davis. So that's a huge advantage for us to have such quality around the ruck uh, in a game where, you know, if you control the ruck in the NRLW, you're mm. going to go a long way to winning, which is what Brisbane have done the last three years. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I've got those girls and then I've got some young and, and upcomers. You know, I've got a, a halfback and, and five-eight combination, uh, you know, Talia Fumayano and then also Rachel Pearson that I'm excited to, you know, get my hands on and get to work about, you know, how I saw the game and how they see the game. So um, I, I'm very confident in the fact that I've got uh, enough, you know, quality players to be able to get the job done next year. You're going to continue in your, your halves and kicking coach role with the Dragons uh, top squad. Can you tell us what that experience was like last week, uh, last year, pardon me, Sowie, uh, or last season working with those young guys? We saw uh, Jaden Sullivan, Junior Ramon get opportunities um, that were, were playing in those those chief playmaking positions. What are those kids like to, to work with and what did you see from them at the, the back end of the season when they did get a, a bit of first grade footy under their belt? Yeah, so Hetty's the main attacking assistant coach. He's yeah, the, the lead officer there. I'm a bit of an everywhere's man. I wouldn't say I'm as focused just on the halves this year as pretty much as I was last year because of my role with NRLW and yeah, a few other moving pieces there at the Dragons. But um, yeah, the young core that we've got, um, you talk about Jaden and also uh, Junior, yeah, those guys are footy players and serious footy players and yeah, you know, I, I kind of relate a lot of what I saw at Penrith. Now I saw it as a player, and probably not as a as an experienced you know, person that had, had taken time away to look at the game. But mm. yeah, you know, there's a lot of similarities from what Penrith built from within with their juniors, you know, coming through the ranks at the Dragons. And that you know, I speak about you know, Bard and also Junior, but you got the Fangai Twins, and then you've got you know, Tyrell Sloan. Like they're all sort of homegrown for us. So. Um, yeah, those two halves see the game very differently. Bud's, yeah, he's a halfback that probably needs to understand a little bit more about game management you know, if he's mm. going to be in that number seven role. And yeah, Junior's just a competitor. You know, I, I saw him in preseason last year, and yeah, my first sort of uh, assessment of him was, yeah, you know, this kid's reminded me so much of Kyle Stanley, to be honest. Just an out-and-out yeah. competitor, tough, can play anywhere in your team, just to be. And, that, and that's what Kyle did. You know, Kyle played hooker. He played center. He played fullback. He played a bit of five eight. And yeah, you know, that that learning experience, unfortunately for Kyle with injury, didn't work out. But for Junior, yeah, you know, that's gonna that's a ten year player there that you've got, and a tough kid that's that's learned early in his in his uh, footy career what it takes to be an NRL player. 
experience seems to be the buzzword in the NRL, at least in kind of recent years, Sowie, and and that was probably the, the word that was being thrown around at the Dragons. A lot of fans wanted to see, I guess, the the young brigade of talent coming through to start every single game when the Dragons were out of out of finals contention. What can you tell us, I guess, from your experience uh, now that you're, you're coaching in the NRLW and you've worked with NRL setups as well as being an NRL player yourself, how important experience is or experienced players uh, being around some of these young players uh, is is that how important is that in an NRL system? Yeah, I think it's also key to remember that you know if you throw, if we haven't experienced anything like we have the last two years with you know being in a bubble or anything like that. The players, and if you're a young kid who hasn't played in two years in, in solid competition from week to week, and yeah, you know, hook was to throw all the youngsters out and, and wrestle or you know drop all the old guys, and you know, that doesn't give them a fair crack at learning how to play first grade mm. because. They haven't had that week-to-week footy, so you sort of got to temper yourself a little bit, you know, drip feed them in, in terms of they get their opportunities. And, you know, we saw guys like Jaden Sullivan play hooker. Now, you know, that, that adjustment and that lessons for him are, are going to you know, pay us back tenfold this year and in competing for spots. So, um, yeah, having experience around is, is certainly key and, and to help those guys through. And you look at the recruitment this year, I mean, we've got two international test forwards in, you know, Burgess and also Woods, you throw in Moses Embai and the experience and, um, you know, skill level that he has. And all of a sudden, you've got some guys in key positions that can help some of our young guys go. You've got Francis Molo, who's a representative forward. Uh, and then you've also got Moses Suley, who has shown that he's a, you know, he's an elite talent um, at the at the Seagulls and a damaging ball runner. So um, for me, the experience is also very key. Uh, in helping bringing some of those young guys along and, and also, you know, the young guys seeing what it takes to be a first grader week to week. You know, a lot of those guys just got thrown in last year and, you know, we uh, threw whatever happened at the back end of the year. And, you know, that for me, you look at the Roosters, they had injuries, they had young guys throw in and, you, you know, you want to win every single year, but mm. you have to plan for the future as well. Uh, Jamie, uh, before we uh, we let you go, the NRLW season really just uh, around the corner in a, in a few short months. Uh, what can Dragons fans expect from a, a Jamie Soward coach side? Yeah, well, one, we, we're going to compete and we're going to be competitive. Um, yeah, for how I want to coach my team is, yeah, we're going to be in every single game. We're going to compete on every single play. And, yeah, we, we um, are going to just you know, be scrappers. You know, we're going to be nice and physical and, and make sure that we have all the basics and, um, and skill level up to up to scratch to where I think it needs to be, and and then go out there and let the let the result take care of the cell, of itself uh, as long as we're prepared to enjoy you know, what what the process brings. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a scrappy team that's just going to compete their asses off, and and then look up the end of 70 minutes, and if we're in front, we're in front. But if not, yeah, you know, we'll know that we've competed our backside off um, to be in that game. So uh, yeah, I think that that's probably you know if you look at how I played my footy. I wasn't a Jonathan Thurston take the ball to the line kind of guy, but um, you know I just tried to just put myself in the frame, and you know uh, my girls know that that if they do that and, and they uh, super fit and put themselves in the frame, that you know more often than not you you make your own luck, and you know we're going to be winning some games. So we always a pleasure to chat uh, chat Dragons footy with you, mate. We appreciate you uh, giving up your your time in between uh, finishing uh, NRLW stuff and picking up your daughters. And uh, yeah, look forward to to seeing the uh, the Dragon side uh, trot out next year. And hopefully, we're talking about uh, plenty of wins. Thanks for jumping on the Red V podcast, mate. 
No worries. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, love listening to your work. Thank you. Always great to have Sally on the podcast. We thank him for his time and great to get a bit of an insight into, I guess, the coaching mind of, of Jamie Soward, Hamo. And it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think we can always kind of, uh, I guess, raise our eyebrows or, or feel, um, yeah, a little bit, or is this going to work out when a form player uh, comes in? But there's obviously a lot of great form players that are, have become uh, good coaches. And it's a, a great opportunity here for Jamie Soward to, uh, I guess, make his mark in terms of, of bringing the NRLW side up to where it probably should should be with the, the quality that they've had in, in recent years, but also, I guess, great for Jamie's resume as well if he wants to kind of uh, be one of the, the big fish in terms of, of coaching and get an assistant job, whether that's the Dragons or a head coaching job down down the down the path some some way. It's a, it's a great opportunity for him with the, with the Red V starting up with the NRLW next season. Yeah, it certainly is. And he's in a unique opportunity here because he's inheriting a, a side or He's coming in after a period where the Dragons had star-studded lists after star-studded lists to start this whole NRLW competition. Um, that side was a perennial underperformer. Uh, they probably should have won a, a premiership with the players they had. Mm. Uh, they didn't do so. He now comes in with a, with a weaker side because the talent has have obviously been diluted. So... He probably comes in with maybe a little bit of the pressure off. Mind you, it is Jamie Soward, and, and given the fact that he is such a profile, um, there's always going to be pressure on him, and there's always going to be people out to take pot shots as well when things aren't going his way. But, look, I, I think he's got a very sound rugby league mind. Um, he's very forthright, and he's going to, I think, teach these ladies uh, – uh, a lot of uh, a lot of good things, and look, I think it is a good appointment, and uh, it will be very interesting to see whether he looks to to pursue a coaching career long term. Yeah, big opportunity there for Jamie Soward, and we wish uh, him and uh, the coaching staff and the girls the uh, best of season for the 2022 season starting early next year. And I'm sure there's lots of Dragons fans that will be waiting with bated breath to see how the girls uh, perform in what is going to be a strong NRLW competition. We're going to take another break here on the Red V Podcast, and the interviews continue to roll in. We're going to be chatting uh, with Ashton Sims, uh, continuing our part two chat with him in the uh, part two conversation with Ashton. He talks about the the pain of the 2004 final series with the Dragons. Dragons were bundled out after Penrith beat them in a heart-stopping semi-final out there in the West. Uh, the continued pain of 2005 and 2006 with preliminary final defeats, but also picking out uh, some positive moments uh, during those seasons and also his departure from the Red V in 2007, uh, playing with the Fiji national team and what he's doing now amongst a lot, lot more. That's coming up next here on episode 93 of the Red V podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Cray and you're listening to the Red V podcast with Jack and Johnny. Ashton, a fortnight after that, the, the Dragons surprisingly get knocked out of the finals. You guys finished fifth, played Penrith out at Penrith, who had finished fourth. They were the reigning wow. premiers. They still had a, a very good side. Um, mm. Pretty similar to the Manly game in the sense that I think Penrith skipped out to a, a 24-0 lead in that first half. And again, you, you pulled a really big comeback out, but then weren't able to, to bring it home. And then I guess more painstaking than the loss was the fact that you watched, I think North Queensland might have upset yeah. the, the, the Bulldogs the, in the Bulldogs. In, and yeah. I think, I think Melbourne upset Brisbane in, in Brisbane and you, you bundled out. Yeah. It's different to the final series now, but how heart wrenching was that a season that had promised so much and with such a great squad at your disposal, it basically just went up in flames. 
went up in flames, mate. And look, at right at the end of that game, um, I, I watched it for some reason. I watched it was on, you know, Fox at the end of last year, that exact game and the semi final time of last season. And uh, I remember, you know, with about two or three minutes to go, just running this running this line where Trent Barrett, you know, he skipped over and passed the ball to me. Uh, and it got intercepted. I can't remember who intercepted it, but I was, I was straight through for all money. And I thought, this is my moment. <laughs> mm, <laughs> and yeah. it just got taken away. But I was under no doubt that we'd be okay after the game. Uh, so anyway, I went back there. I went back home. And uh, I, was, I wasn't even watching the footy that afternoon because I tried to, you know, I tried to stick away from, from watching footy too much. Um, so I remember, go- I remember going for a surf. It was cold coming back with my, my, my girlfriend then, who's my wife now, and we're sort of just sitting at her house, and I think we're playing cards or something, and uh, Benny Cray just called me, and he goes, get to the get to the St. George, oh, get to the Steelers Club. Yeah. I said, what, what the hell's going on? He goes, we're out. I said, what? He goes, yeah, we're out. Get to the Steelers Club now. We're all here. And just sort of hung up the phone. I thought, mm. what the hell? So I went up on, I went to my wife's computer, the old dial-up internet, yeah. whatever it was back in then. And um, yeah, yeah, we, we, we were out. You know, we were one of the hottest, hottest teams, the hottest squads that year. But, um, you know, fate just, yeah, fate just wouldn't give it to us that season. And it was, it was really heart-wrenching. It was heartbreaking to see and, and to hear because we were getting a lot of momentum later on in that year. Um, but then to be bundled out like that in 04, you know, Luke Bailey just come back too. So we had, you know, we had the test front roller back and we felt like there was some, we had some good things coming up there on the horizon, but it just wasn't meant to be. That morphs into 2005 and, and 2006, Ash. And again, painful years for the Dragons because you, you kind of fall at the, the final hurdle both both seasons. But mm. regardless of that, those two seasons were enjoyable for fans and must have been enjoyable for, for you as a player as well because probably the best roster that St. George Illawarra potentially has ever had, even kind of uh, yeah. usurping 2010 with, with some of the players you had in, in positions. And I know you, I, don't, I remember one mm. game in, in 2005, you guys hung on to beat Parramatta in front of a packed crowd. We had some good derby yeah. wins against the likes of, of Cronulla and, and Canterbury. It must have been nice to be playing in that environment under Brownie where you guys were, were chalking out big wins and, and I guess on the individual um, aspect as well, a few players getting picked and selected to play for, for their state and also for their country. For the country, yeah, absolutely. You know, we, were, you know, we, had, we had class all over the pitch. We had arguably the best centre pairing in the NRL in, in Coops and Gaz. Um, I don't know if anyone remember, well, too many people remember in 2005, like Clint Greenshields at yeah. fullback was, yep. mate, he was probably the form fullback of the whole competition. Uh, he was playing brilliantly. Betty Hornby was on fire. Kitey was at his high, well, and he, he played he, he played great at Manly as well, but Brent Kitey in those years was just phenomenal. He was just an absolute beast, an animal. Um, and, you know, obviously guys like Bales, Rolsey, um, Tomo, like Lance and, I know I'm missing out on a few guys here, Sean, uh, Piggy Riddell. It just, there was just a real good vibe the whole time around training. Uh, Mick Ennis in 05, mate, he was, mate, he was our goal-kicking little hooker. He was, going, he, was, he was killing it as well. And there was just, it just felt like there was a lot of momentum going in our, in our direction. But, again, the rugby league guys just didn't think that it was our time. And, uh, we, we pulled up, yeah, agonisingly short in both years. Uh, especially 05, I really thought 05 was our mm. year to, um, to to win it. But 06, just as much. 
Oh six, I think we we had a lot of good momentum and good positivity in in the group and moving forward. And yeah, oh six, unfortunately, we just come up against the Melbourne Storm team who were just just too good for us on the night and frustrated us um, into making some some unnecessary errors and some errors that were not really synonymous with our team. Um, so look, I look back on it again that they are pretty shitty losses, but. It's pretty, it's pretty cool to be in those environments around those mm. people and uh, understand what it takes to get there. But how do we, you know, how do we take that next step? And unfortunately, we didn't. Um, but then again, fortunately, you know, we blooded some plays those seasons who got some success later on in, um, for the Dragons. Guys like um, Brett Morris and Jason Nightingale, uh, mm. these guys who went and, and had, some, uh, had some pretty good success yeah, a few seasons later. As a young guy going through those experiences, 04, 05, 06, did that teach you things about rugby league or things in life about, I guess, having to be more versatile and, and try and be more resilient that you kind of took on to your, your latter playing career, not just in Australia, but when you went over and, and played with Warrington in the UK, Ashton, and also with the Toronto Wolfpack? Yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Look, you learn, I'm a big believer, and you learn more through the hard times than you do through the good times because, you know, no one learns the disappointment of or of of hard times if everything's all great rainbows and lollipops you know there's mm. always going to be there's always going to be those adversities those challenges that we go through in life and you've got to experience them to know how to work through them and um certainly look my probably my only regret well i'm not sure if it's a regret but the only thing i've i've i look back on my career is i wish i won a grand final mm. i was lucky enough to make a grand final over in the UK uh, in the Super League. I was lucky enough to, to be in four games, uh, you know, the game before the grand finals here in the NRL, but just couldn't take that that final step. And um, it was something that, um, you know, it obviously, look, it doesn't define who I am or what career I had, but I just, you know, of all the personal accolades that I've done, you know, I've always wanted to play for, for New South Wales, play for Australia, always wanted to play for country. I got picked in the country team in 2006, but had to get, um, yeah, I had to pull out of the game because I, I broke my wrist. And, um, but the, the grand final was always my number one thing. You know, watching guys, you know, the, the Canberra Raiders through the 90s, the Broncos through the 90s, uh, the Roosters, you know, that early 2000s, I wanted to be on that podium, you know, lifting up that trophy with my, with a group of mates. That, you know, that, you know, that that journey didn't just start at the start of that week. That journey mm. started in November the year before, and uh, unfortunately, I never got to experience that. But look, I've, I've done some other pretty cool things uh, in my career, some things that not many people have been able to do. And uh, I, again, I've got no regrets on on anything that I've done in my career. Um, so, but yeah, winning obviously winning the grand final, that premiership, having that synonymous with your name would have been yeah would have been pretty cool around this time period ashton you, you started playing a bit more run-on football at both prop and also in the back row was that a, a, a combination of a, a lot of hard work and, and determination and, and those kinds of things that you touched on before yeah for sure and, and just you know grasping the opportunity when it comes always being ready i'm a big believer in good on luck is when opportunity meets preparedness uh, and i was always prepared man i uh, in, in those years, I dropped a little bit of weight there too. I, you know, I lost about five kilos and probably just some fat. I started getting my diet in order because uh, I was, I sort of felt like I was a bit of a yo-yo there at times, just going up and down with my weight, which in turn mm. was going up and down in my performances. I wanted to get some more consistency in my performances and 
uh, talking to a sports psychologist back then. Uh, again, just having this conversation now, you know, what are some things that are going so well? What are some things that aren't going so well? And I suppose my diet and my weight was one thing where, you know, I always sort of ate everything. Um, mm. And that was probably from the, you know, from childhood growing up is, you yeah. know, you don't eat, don't eat, you don't, you, you don't eat, you, oh, you don't eat anything you don't eat. Um, so I was always a bit of a glutton with my food and uh, I just sort of refined around that and, and um, got a, a little bit more of a start in the back row and, and, and the front row and uh, I absolutely loved it and yeah, just going out there from the kicker, from the first kickoff, especially at Wynn Stadium with a howling, um, you know, with a howling crowd and the atmosphere, the vibe that, that we get off at that stadium and that's not even with the, with the new parts of the stadium that are built there now. So I can only imagine what it's like what it's like now for the players to run on, hear that music, you know, those the you know, the fire going off and it's uh, it's given me a little bit of goosebumps in that now, mm. thinking about it, thinking back on it. But um there's some experiences that not too many people get to uh, get to go through and I'm very humbled, very lucky to have been able to to experience that in the in the red and white. So 2005 ends with a, a disappointing uh, preliminary final defeat to, to the West Tigers, Ashton, and that morphs into the 2006, which was a little bit of a funny season for the Dragons. You kind of hit the ground running to start the season uh, and then mm. through, I guess, the middle to back end portion of the season, you you lost a whole bunch of games and then you're able to, to find a bit of form at the back end of the season and then have yep. probably two of the most convincing semi-final wins the Dragons have, have possibly ever had, beating um, yeah. Brisbane up in Brisbane at Suncourt, what, 52 thousand people there and then yep. you go in uh, and uh, keep Brisbane to four and then you you, you keep mainly to, to zilch zero points the, the following week yep. at the football stadium can you talk me through I guess the the back end of that season leading into the semi-finals and obviously your experience of of what it was like playing at at, at Suncourt which is if you haven't if you're not going to get to play a grand final in in the NRL I guess that's the kind of mecca isn't it to play in front of 50,000 screaming fans a lot of oh, Brisbane yeah. fans that no doubt were baying for a bit of Dragon's blood yeah, for sure. And the one thing about that game too is I remember our presence there, like the St. George Illawarra's Dragon supporters. Mm. We did a uh, uh, we did a Dragons appreciation night two nights before uh, at the hotel, and I can tell you right, mate, there must have been about 200, 300 Dragon supporters, Red V members, just crammed into this room. I don't yeah, know wow. how they got into this room, but the vibe was just electric, um, and. That's the one thing, you know, getting around to those supporters, having a chat to them, seeing how much the game means to them. You know, we've got supporters who are crying uh, and just saying, look, you guys have been playing so well this year. We love watching you. We can't believe you're playing up here in our hometown. Um, don't let us down. <laughs> you know what I mean? But <laughs> No pressure, hey, Ashton. <laughs> but look, no, no, no. But look, that's that's a, that's how much the game means to means to NRL supporters, but especially Dragon supporters, because you know what that jersey that you're you're putting on, that number on your back, that is you know that was worn by some of the greatest players to play the game, and mm. um, we've got a we're, we're steeped in history in in the, at the Dragons there, and um, that's one thing that you know it was one thing that Brownie always loved was was the history of the club, Peter Doust, uh, obviously having Albert there as well, even guys like. Uh, Dave Barnhill, uh, who, were, who were ex-players, and we used to get guys all the time come in. You know, we, we used to have the Wind Boys uh, come in and and have a chat. I remember Billy Smith come in a few times. Uh, even I, I'm I'm pretty sure uh, Johnny Raper, and I'm pretty sure Reg come in once. Mm. Reg he didn't come in all that often, but Johnny Raper he, he always come to the. Uh, uh, to the season launches, and it, he just used to get up and chat about what the club means to him. 
Uh, and you know, you, there, sometimes there wasn't a dry eye in the house because yeah. he, he just, you know, he, he had a great way of, of speaking about what the club meant to him and and what the club's done for him over the years. And and you know, when you again, when you pull on that jersey, you're not just representing yourself, your family, you're representing the heritage of of our great of our great club. And um, that was something that always used to strike a chord with me. And you know, I'm not just going out there uh, for my own personal. Uh, well, you know, my, my own personal gain or my own family. I'm going out there and representing, you know, all all St Georgia Warriors supporters, the, the players who come before me, but also giving inspiration to the players who are aspiring to to mm. pull on this jersey as well, and making sure that I um, I treat it with respect. I treat I, I I play every game as hard as I can. So win, lose, or draw, when I come off, fans know that you played, you know, to the best of your ability. 2006 unfortunately ends with a, a preliminary final defeat, as you touched on earlier, Ashton, against the, the, the Melbourne Storm. I guess during that period, in, in your opinion, and it could come down to a lot of different, uh, different factors, why, wasn't the, why weren't the Dragons able to kind of get over that hump? Was it in terms of being maybe outcoached in those big games? Was it a, a mental thing? Um, what, what do you put it down to? To be honest, I've never really been asked that question, and I certainly don't think. Look, I certainly don't think it was, it was a, a case of being out coached because Brownie was very diligent with with his coaching, and um, I, you know, we ne- we didn't leave any stone unturned. It was just one of those ones where, unfortunately, we just got outplayed on the day. Mm. Um, I, I look back at the, the Penrith in 04. We were just unfortunately outplayed on the day. We weren't too far away. The Tigers, they just went on a dream run in 05, and. And Melbourne were just, you know, they were really hitting their straps at the right time of year. We just, yeah, it was, looking back on it, yeah, it still pains me now looking back on mm. it, on what could have been because, you know, we're sitting here talking about two games that, oh, well, two preliminary finals that we lost where, you know, in hindsight, looking back on the teams, we should, we should be talking about two premiership victories yeah. uh, that we had. and. Honestly, look, and I'm not just saying it so fans say, oh, yeah, look how much it meant to him. It really, no, mm. it, it fucking really means a whole lot to me because at the end of the day, I'm a kid who comes from nothing and it would have been nice to have something like yeah. that next to, my, next to my name. And um, it still pains me. Yeah, it does. It still pains me to this day because I've already had, you know, I've only just moved back in the area uh, for the first time since I sort of left, really. When I'm in the area, down here, I live down here in Shell Harbour now and, now, there's still people come up to me now and say, oh, how good was that team in 05, 06? He's had internationals everywhere. How come he didn't win a comp? And it's like, yeah, I know, man. It's far out. It. And then you, you just sort of walk away and think, ah, oh, bloody hell. Well, you know, what did go wrong? Uh, and it certainly wasn't through a lack of trying, man. It, mm. it really wasn't. It wasn't we were out coached or anything. Just unfortunately, I'm, you know, rugby league on the day, some things just go the, the opposition's way and, um, you, there's, sometimes there's unfortunately nothing you can do about it but um, I, I look back on, on all those guys I played with in those years and, and just know that we did everything we could to win and unfortunately we yeah we come up short on, on those years. 2007 was your final year at the the Dragons, Ashton. It probably wasn't a very fun one for you. You only got to play uh, the the 12 games. I think you had a, a couple of injuries and suspensions throughout that that season. Um, tell me the the story. I guess the progression of for you departing the Dragons. What was those conversations like? I, I believe you were you were pretty keen to stay at the Dragons, but the Dragons were they wanted to to move you on. 
Yeah, look, it was well. First of all, it was a really frustrating year, uh, injury injury wise too. That's when I started uh, getting the knee, my, my knee injuries that uh, that sort of hampered me throughout my career from then on in. And um, instead of you know being a punk, young punk kid, instead of rehabbing properly, I probably you know just did a little bit of rehab here and there and just try mm. to um, just hopefully it heal by itself, but not knowing that, you know, with a knee injury, it's not just about healing the knee. It's about strengthening your glutes, your hamstrings, your quads, your, your calves all around it. And um, Looking back on it now, I wish I did things a lot differently. I remember, man, I remember doing my knee um, early, you know, earlier on in the year. And then it was like three weeks later, I jumped on the scales and I was about 10 kilos heavier mm. uh, because I just, kept, I just kept eating as I normally would. But not doing as much running and I was just swimming and boxing and, um, yeah, just looking back on it then. And I remember Nathan Brown called me out one day. He goes, jump on them scales, jumped on, and I was probably about eight kilos over, you know, over. And he goes, no, that's not good enough. And, and that was good, you know, that was good for me and it was good for everyone around who saw that too because, you know, there's, stand, there's standards of our club that you need to meet. Um, when you play rugby league, you know, you, you're not just the on people aren't just – Worry about the on-field, yeah. They worry mm. about the off-field as well, and it's I suppose it's been highlighted no, no more than than at the moment with you know around social media and that and how you know, how people are easily, uh, you know, everyone's got a camera on them now. So if you if you're doing that stuff and up doing the wrong thing, it's mm. it's quickly uh, it's quickly shared or whatever. But uh, back then, you know, that was that accountability that I needed. Is look, I'm a professional rugby league player here. I'm getting paid really good money for a 21 year old. Um, and I shouldn't be putting, I shouldn't be certainly be putting on eight to 10 kilos worth of weight there. And if I'm injured, I've got to be make sure I'm doing everything I can to get back as quick as I can uh, and get back to full health. And that's probably something I didn't do. And it's something that's, you know, even now I'm walking around now and my knees are, yeah, my knees are pretty shot, which I've got no, you know, look, man, I've got no problem with it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if um, I'm 36 year old, I've you know, I've got four kids, I've got a wife, I've got a good job, I love um, I love what I do, I love being in the, in the area where I am and um, I've got no regrets but if I had probably had one regret, I wish I looked after you know, mm. my knees a little bit better early on in my career. You moved to Brisbane in, in 2008 and you get to play under arguably the greatest coach that, that's ever existed in, in Wayne Bennett, Ashton. What was, was he, yeah. uh, was the fact that Wayne was coach, was that a big part of you moving up to, to Brisbane? Was there any, any other teams kind of in the conversation with you um, leaving the Dragons at the end of 2007? Yeah, look, I had a good, I had a really good meeting with, uh, with Matty Elliott uh, up there in Thoreau, um about potentially going to the, going to the Panthers there. Uh, for two, for like 2008 and beyond, and I also had a a good conversation down in Kaima with with Steve Folks, God rest his soul, and mm. uh, he was pretty keen on getting me to the Bulldogs. And, and Andrew Ryan, uh, I was having a few conversations, excuse me, on the phone with Andrew Ryan about potentially going to the Bulldogs. But I thought to myself, look, if I'm going to make a change, if I want to, if I want to be the best I can be, I need to get out of my comfort zone. I need to stop going down to Jerringong to my mates, where you know I. I I wouldn't. Ha- I know I wouldn't have a great game, but if I did a good tackle or if I made a good run, you know, my mates are my mates and they love me, and, and you know, I love them. And you know, they always say, "Oh no, you didn't play bad," because you know, remember that run you did, and you think, "Oh yeah, shit, yeah, I must have had a good game." But then mm. you, you know, you get dropped the next week because you know, deep down, you know, you didn't play well. And one day, just look, um, I got this. I was not to be graphic, but I was on the toilet, and um, I got this phone call, 
And I, you know, I answered the phone and I said, and they said, hello. And he goes, Ashton Sims. I said, yeah. He goes, this is Wayne Bennett. And I just, I just thought that would I thought it was one of my mates yeah. doing me up. I said, oh, shut up. What are you doing? Who's this? Who is it? He goes, it's Wayne Bennett. And I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought yeah, it sounds like he sounds like, it, it sounds like him that I've heard on TV. And yeah. He goes, look, I want you to come. I want you and Steve Gillis, my manager, who's a very good friend of mine still to this day. I want you to come up and have a look at the Broncos facility um, next week. I know you're injured, so hopefully you can get a day off to go up and have a look. And, I uh, went up and had a look. I met Andrew G, who yeah, I used to, <laughs> I used to hate because he was watching. You know, I always <laughs> saw, knew Andrew G through the State of Origins and having the having the fights. And I remember Laurie Daly putting a good hit on him and thinking, yeah, sucking Andrew G. But <laughs> he was one of the most. He was one of the best guys I've met in rugby league. He's very dry, very down to earth, very black and white. If he doesn't like what you're doing or how you're doing it, he'll tell you. Uh, and I appreciated that transparency in his communication and, you know, walking around the crowd, the, the club, seeing the people, obviously not the players, but uh, the, you know, the players who come before me um, who made that, that jersey as great as it was. I thought, look, if I'm ever going to take up an opportunity, get out of my comfort zone um, and be that best player I can be, it's going to be under Wayne Bennett. It's going to be in arguably the best system mm. in the NRL. And I made my decision then and there. And you know, uh, it was it was Wayne Bennett, it was Andrew G up in the uh, up at the at the Broncos Leagues Club in his office, and Bruno Cullen, sorry, who's still a good friend of mine now. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm coming up. I'll give him a word. Um, and he said, perfect. Well, I'll, you know, your word, your bond. And I said, yes, it is, sir. Uh, I don't break my word for anyone. And um, I, yeah, I, I agreed to go up to the Broncos then. So. Uh, I just knew that, you know, again, going back to Jerengong every weekend to, for, to find comfort in my mates and that I, I, needed, mm. I needed something else. And um, I, again, my then girlfriend and my wife now, uh, I asked her if she'd want to move up and, and she said, yeah, and we went up to the Broncos. It was around this time, Ashton, that you got the opportunity to, to represent um, Fiji. And for those that don't know, your mum was born in Fiji. And, and so you obviously have that um, Fiji side of, of your family. You end up playing, I think, 17 tests for Fiji over the next kind of five or, or six seasons. Can you can you tell yeah. me what the honour was like to pull on that jersey and, and I guess get to play for Fiji with, with, your, with your brothers and, and get to represent such a, a proud rugby league nation as well that's really made waves, I guess, in the last probably six to eight years in the international game oh absolutely mate look this was this was probably the most emotional that i've been um on, on, a, on a footy on a footy pitch look it's you know, i know i don't look fijian but i'm very proud of our fijian heritage mm. uh, my mother's from fiji uh, and we're very very close with our mother's side of the family the campbells who live again i mentioned before live up there in mount Druitt. and for me to represent who we are, our heritage, not just our heritage, the people, the people of Fiji. Look, you know, the Fijians, I'm sure you've probably come across them uh, in your time there, Jack, but mm. Fiji, it's a, it's a tiny island, a tiny island with a ton of heart. And, you know, we always punch above our weight in, in any sport that we play. You look at the rugby sevens, the gold medals at the Olympics. Um, you look at our three world, rugby league world cups. Look, we're very, again, very small islands like Tonga, like Samoa as well. Uh, and we've been able to, to play three, to make three semifinals. Uh, the unfortunate part of that is we, we come up against Australia in all three of those semifinals who have given us uh, a real lesson in, in rugby league in all three mm. of those games. But 
to, to be able to represent who, who I am, where I'm from, um, and to, to experience the culture, especially over in the islands, over in Fiji, how they live, um, and how much, how much just sport plays a big part in their life. Because, look, you, you look at Fiji uh, now and, you, you know, you see all the beautiful resorts, you see all this and that, but at the end of the day, it's, it's, it is a very poor country. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the resorts and that are all beautiful. But if you go, let's say 500 to a kilometer inland, it's, it's all little shacks and little towns mm. and, you know, they're just getting by as best they can. And, you know, some, some villages have one TV for the whole village and what they do watch on the weekends and as much as they can is sport and yeah. they really get behind their team. They really get behind their people. And it was such a proud moment to be able to play for them, but probably arguably the biggest um, the biggest moment of my career is playing playing with my, my two younger brothers, Tarek and Corbin. The first time I got to play with them uh, over in England, uh, it was Fiji versus Ireland at, at Rochdale, um, at Rochdale Footy uh, Footy Club there, and that was yeah, that that was probably the proudest proudest moment of my life because again, without Sound and Corny, it literally was from the backyard to the biggest stage uh, in rugby league and. Uh, it's I know something my, my parents and especially my mum was was very proud of seeing. Ashton, did you have to practice the national anthem at all before you started strapping on the boots, mate? <laughs> Absolutely, mate. Yeah, look at I didn't really know. I, I know it's funny. It's all sort of weird. I, I can understand Fiji more than I can more than I can talk more <sighs> than I can speak it. Um, I'm you know I know I can speak yeah you know, very um, very sort of easy simple Fijian, but. I can understand the words and that more, especially if anyone's starting to call me names, I can understand that and that giggle. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I had to, obviously had to, um, had to, had to learn the national anthem. And I remember ringing my nan, um, my bumbo, and she was, she was very proud. She, she really was, especially in 2008 mm. uh, when I first made it. And um, excuse me, and we we're playing. Yeah, you know, we, we played a few games down here. We we played our first game against France down here in. In, uh, at Wynn Stadium and I had a, again like my debut I had about 30 or 40 family um, who come down to watch me and it was just it was just a real beautiful moment getting to you know, you know getting to see see the uh, my relatives there who um, yeah you know who, who, who were just so proud Fijians look my I, I, I'm not sure if, if you know but uh, my little cousin well, big little cousins Regan Campbell Gillard yeah yeah um, his mum's his mum's actually my godmother, so um, to be able to give her a cuddle um, after the game too, who you know I'm I'm very close with Danny Georgie. Um, she, I'm, I want to give her a quick shout out now. Yeah, so sure. She's, she's ailing with her health a little bit, which is which is um, tough to, tough to see. But she's um, you know her and my auntie Lux, and there, there's there's been a few others who have and my uncle Gareth, Uncle Glenn, um, who have just followed my journey in rugby league and. Uh, they've come to a lot of our, a lot of my games and supported me unconditionally. Um, it's it's something that you know, representing that Fijian heritage of mine is, is something that's really, really dear, near and dear to my heart, and something I'm very passionate about. Especially moving for, especially mm. sorry, moving forward uh, with the new wave or the new crop of uh, Fijians coming through. Because you, you can only look at the guys like Mike Sivo and and Wanga Blake, and you know you think of guys like Quiliwadis, Munavalu. Um, Sammy Radrandra, um, there's there's these there's these kids 
out there on the islands. And that's not just for males as well. That's females too. There's some, yeah. there's some unbelievably exceptional athletes, uh, male and female, on the islands. But now it's about, you know, nurturing that development, nurturing that grassroots of, of rugby league over there uh, in Fiji, as well as, as well as our own backyard. Ashton, post-footy, uh, since you've moved back to Australia, you're currently doing um, two roles, as you, you've mentioned, um, about the operations manager for, for Group 7 in the Country Rugby League. But you've also uh, been working with a, another former Dragons player in, in Dan Hunt previously uh, with the uh, mental health movement as a mental health uh, facilitator. Can you uh, give us a bit more information about that for people that are listening that might not, too, might not know too much about what you guys are, are doing? Yeah, so look, I, I was very, uh, very humbled and privileged for, for Dan to ask me to come on board at the mental health movement. Look, it's you know, I've got a long-standing relationship with with Dan uh, back from the Dragons days at the in 06, 07 when he started, and um, he's doing some great things in the mental health space. There's no two ways about it. Uh, and also another ex-player, uh, Chris Houston, who's Dan's right-hand man. Mm. Um, they're they're really making a uh, making a um, positive influence in, in the mental health space. And there's, there's been no more time there; it's been so needed than than we the world we live in right now. And uh, so the mental health movement, um, they are uh, they work in workplaces. They're they're working with with schools, communities, uh, organisations, and they just really look after the mental health. Uh, and safety of everyone around them. And I think, uh, you know, again, they, they just do such a great job, mate. It was so good to, to be in that role. And I think that, um, yeah, you know, it should be it should be mandatory in workplaces is is that mental health training because we don't know what we don't know. And mm. you know, when, I, when I say that is, you know, when it comes to mental health and managing ourselves, a lot of it, we weren't taught this stuff in school. You know, we're just doing the best we can with the knowledge we've got. But if we can get that better understanding, better knowledge, education, literature, uh, literacy, sorry, levels improved around how to look after ourselves, but also how to look after each other, uh, we're going to live in a, in, a, in a better country, in a better place. And we're going to understand and know that, you know, it's not weak to, to say that you're, you're not okay or that you're struggling or, you know, you're not less of a man or less of a woman um, for, for going through tough times because we all go through tough times. But we all need to understand that it is okay to seek support because, look, seeking support, again, it doesn't make you less of a man, less of a woman, less of a husband, less of a wife, mm. less of a person. Seeking support just means you want to be doing better than you currently are. And at the end of the day, who of us don't? Ashton, uh, I just want to thank you so much for, for giving me your time. We've chatted for almost two hours about so many different aspects of your your career, and I think I, I speak on behalf of a lot of Dragons fans and, and other fans that might be listening that, that just thank you for your determination and your hard work. It's, I guess rugby league players, I, I know you're human beings like anyone else, but you're, you're seen as superhuman sometimes with some of the stuff that you go through on the field and, and obviously off the field as well, and we really appreciate you sitting down for the last couple of hours, giving up some time in your day to, to chat about your footy career. It's been yeah, it's been a really wonderful chat from from our point of view, and we we ho- certainly hope that you have enjoyed. I guess reminiscing about your career as much as we have. No, Jarvis, thanks, plenty, thanks heaps, Jack. Look, it's been a yeah two hours. Wow, it's gone a little bit longer than I thought, but um, it was good to have a chat about you know about footy, but also about life and give people an understanding that you know it doesn't matter where you come from, who you are. You know, you can always you know you can always succeed in life, and it doesn't have to be professional rugby league. It can. You know, it can be your local, your plumber or school teacher or or doctor, whatever it is. But you know, again, I'm a big believer. I'm a big believer in the harder you work, you're lucky you get. And, um, I think that's something that I'm going to continue moving forward. You need to be smart with the hard work as well, but mm. get the good pe- get good people around you to succeed in life.
Hope you enjoyed that chat with Ashton Sims, an absolute gentleman of the game, and great to see him still uh, involved uh, with rugby league down there in Group 7, down on the south coast, where uh, he uh, kind of, I guess, uh, wet his appetite and uh, made his start in rugby league. Great to see him giving back to a community rugby league, and a big thanks to Ashton for giving up uh, so much time to talk about uh, a career that really did um, have longevity in it. We're going to uh, round everything up here on the Red V Podcast by taking a look at your fans' corner questions for this week. And the first question we've got uh, is from our good friend, Tim Boucher. Can always rely on Tim for an audio question. Uh, thank him for his thought-provoking questions in the past. But this was the questions that he's, uh, he, I guess, he's uh, thrown at myself and Hamo for this week. Hey, Jack and Corey. Hope you two are having a great day today. Uh, my question is in regards to player recruitment. Uh, the Daily Telegraph said that both the Tigers and the Dragons are the teams with the most cap space in 2023. Do you think that the Dragons will be looking to target anyone specifically uh, come November 1st? Thanks very much, guys. So uh, an interesting question there from Tim Hamo saying that uh, the Dragons and Tigers have been revealed by Daily Telegraph to uh, to have been the, I guess, the sides with the most salary cap room. Could you see the Dragons... I guess, targeting anyone in particular or, or are they going to wait until uh, they see what's potentially out on the market for 2023? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? When you've got cash to splash, how do you spend it? Do you spend it on a big name? Do you disperse it? Do you buy a couple of middle-of-the-range players? I think for the Dragons, they lack a lot of depth in the number nine position. And then you've got Andrew McCulloch, who... Um, let's just say his body's failing him. Mm, he's had a few um, injuries, no, hasn't he, Hamo? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's there's no knock on his the caliber of player and person he's because he is a uh, a man of high character and he's the kind of bloke that you want to build a culture around. And that's why, undoubtedly, I think more than anything, Anthony Griffin's brought him mm, in for that experience yeah. and also that. Uh, what he brings off the field. But um, that number nine position, I think, could be the one that holds the Dragons back. Now, they've already lost Tyron Wishart, that they had sitting there, uh, that they were using him as a number nine. Uh, he's off to the Melbourne Storm. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, there's there's a, a one number nine gone. Um, obviously, Billy Britton didn't work out for the Dragons as well. So... They're very thin there. I know they play Jaden Sullivan there, but let, let's face it, he's he's a half, and I, he, he's very much a makeshift number nine, Brandon Smith. I, I know mm. his name is linked with about every single club, but if the Dragons are fair dinkum, uh, they need to be making a serious play or certainly making some inquiries about Brandon Smith because they need a number nine if they are going to be a premiership threat. And the thing with the Dragons, Hamo, is that they're not really noted for making big signings. When Ben Hunt uh, made that uh, that big move down from from Brisbane, that was one of the biggest signings, I guess, not just in St. George Illawarra history, but in St. George and Illawarra history. The, the Dragons have been known kind of promoting uh, within or, or kind of what they've been doing the last couple of seasons, buying some spare parts players for unders that have, have turned out to be, to be real gems. I think it would be a huge shot of confidence in the arm. I think even just for the fan base, even if they weren't able to land someone like a Brandon Smith, but it'd be nice to see if the Dragons were in the in the chase for someone of that caliber. Absolutely, if they're in the conversation, then all of a sudden other players 
start to maybe show a little bit of interest in the Dragons. Oh, they've got the money there for Brandon Smith. Well, I might be interested in going there. Like you said, it just puts them in the conversation. It generates a bit of interest from fans, and it just may create that snowball effect where other players might be interested Mm. in dipping their toes and maybe putting the feelers out there to the Red V. But you've got to aim high. You've got Mm. to aim high, particularly with Redcliffe coming into the competition in 2023. Uh, you really need to, to get in there and, and be competitive in that playing market with the money you do have. And I, I just feel that they can get some stability there in that one, that six and that seven jersey, but without a, a top-class number nine that is fit, mm. um, I, I think the Dragons are going to be held back. And I just I have my doubts over Andrew McCulloch and the ability for his body to hold up. It's not so much his... His caliber of play, although mind you, he, he's he's not as sharp uh, as he once was, which you, you're going to expect from a player that's um, you know well into his 30s now. But um, uh, yeah, look, I think number the number nine position is where the Dragons have got to land a big fish. Talking of Redcliffe, our next question, I guess, kind of incorporates that a little bit from Stephen Penfold. He said, Bud Sullivan is yet to to re-sign, so he is obviously going to test the market. I know Johnny has said he loves the gong, but should we be concerned he may leave? Uh, A very legitimate question, considering that Redcliffe are pretty cashed up, and from November 1, uh, they would love nothing more than entice a creative young half up north. It's all going to come down to where Jaden Sullivan fits in the picture in 2022. Hook's going to be very careful here because I know that he's favoured Ben Hunt for that number seven jersey, and that's all well and good. But if he ends up playing Jaden Sullivan at nine or in that utility position, then he starts to second guess whether he's in Hook's plans, particularly if it becomes the case that. Uh, Talatau Amon plays in the six and Tyrell Sloan plays in the one. I mean, mm. they're, they're three of the next big things. But if he finds himself just a little bit on the outer next year, um, then he may start to look elsewhere and, and just test the open market. Now, obviously, you've got to wait your, your time. And uh, those three, they've still got plenty of years of development ahead of them. Um, but... Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how Hook plays it with those youngsters. Now that he's given them the taste, will he continue to give them more than just a taste or will it be continuing to dip the toes? Because like you said, Redcliffe, they'll have cash to splash and they'll be targeting anyone and everyone with a bit of talent. And uh, another one um, that uh, the Dragons might have to uh, try and lock away is Josh Kerr as well. Josh mm. Kerr is a Redcliffe boy. And I know that he was very excited about the prospect of Redcliffe entering the competition. And even when there was some rumours back a year or two, uh, he was asked about it and he said he'd be excited about the prospect of Redcliffe coming in the competition and he'd certainly be open to going and playing back home. So that'll be an interesting to watch to see where Josh Kerr ends up as well.
The next question is from Jordan Stoseski, and Jordan has said, uh, the question I have for you boys today is, when do you see a premiership window opening up at the Dragons? Personally, I think many things have to go right in the 2022 campaign next year, which in the past, everything that could go wrong normally does go wrong, and I mean that we re-sign the likes of Bud Sullivan and uh, the Fearnay uh, Fear Twins. Also, we make the top eight, which will make the Dragons more of an appealing destination for players that want to come, but most importantly, we also re-sign Hook Griffin so that the players understand he is there for the long term. Is it a, a little while off a, a premiership window for, for the Dragons? Hamilton, personally, I think that they'd probably have to make some, some big signings in 2023, but it looks as if they're slowly kind of building towards something that's a, a bit more concrete than what we've seen the last couple of seasons. Yeah, that's probably a fair call there, Jack. In terms of a premiership window, it, it's always hard to predict because it can be longer than we expect for some clubs and, and quicker than we expect for, for others. Like you said, the Dragons have made some positive signings and they've made also some perhaps risky signings as well, which may well pay off. I'm going to go back to my previous answer to, to one of the other questions. The key is a number nine. I think if they can get a world-class number nine, that can just change the whole complexion of a side and I think that's where it starts from that dummy half if you've got a creative dummy half that is really going to ask questions of the defence and also really complement your playmakers as well it can really just change the dynamic of a team and if they can get a really good number nine someone like a Brandon Smith that premiership window could come around quicker than what Dragons fans maybe would anticipate otherwise. Our final question uh, is one to maybe reminisce on what happened in the 2021 season. Hamo Jordan Reyes has asked, hey boys, which Dragons performances or performance uh, do you believe was the best this season if you had to pick? Oh, good question. Testing the memory now. It, it seems like uh, an, absolute, uh, <laughs> an absolute world away. I think the Parramatta game, I mm. think that was, that was a performance that was watershed in terms of the the 24 months that the Dragons had been through because it just gave the fans hope that something was going to be different. It was a big scalp. It was at Bankwest Stadium, mm. otherwise known as Paradise, a very tough place to play if you're an opposing side to the Eels. And they were just superb that night. And Unfortunately, the wheels fell off, but that just gave some optimism that maybe things were going to be a bit different. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't to be, but um, maybe they can uh, hopefully replicate that uh, performance and a few more next season. Yeah, I think that and also that big win over Brisbane where Matty Dufty ran right and there was a, a nice kind of comeback win up in a, a wet Newcastle stadium up there. A couple of, of decent performances in the first probably 10 weeks of the season. Unfortunately, not too many at the back end of the season. Hopefully, uh, we're talking here in the Red V podcast about a lot of positive performances that are making uh, the fans and players uh, very, very happy. Big thanks to Jordan for sending in that question. Just a reminder, if you do want to get your questions featured or if you have a voice question that you want to get featured on the Red V podcast, 
you can email them to us, redvpodcast at gmail.com. That wraps up our Fans Corner question. It also wraps up episode 93 of the Red V Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed a couple of interviews and uh, being kept up to date with everything that's happening at the St. George Illawarra Dragons. We'll continue uh, to keep you updated throughout the whole off-season. We've got some fantastic player interviews coming up. Guys like Adrian Brunker, Steve Larder, uh, Rod Hanneker, some real legends from uh, the Illawarra Steelers days in the 1980s, uh, as well as guys like Russell Cox, who played in the 1971 Grand Final against South. So plenty of entertainment coming up in the off-season, even, even though there might not be a hell of a lot of Dragons news around as we head into the warmer months. Hamo, always great chatting Dragons footy with you, mate. Thanks for pulling the car over by the side of the road to have a bit of a yarn with us, mate, after a big day at work. It's uh, been a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it, Jack. Look forward to doing it all again, maybe three in a row. Who knows? We'll have to see if uh, Johnny Pett gets called in for the dreaded night shift uh, for a third <laughs> week running. But great to have Hamo uh, on the speed dial in, uh, in, the, in the reserves. Pretty handy depth player to have uh, in that kind of position. So big thanks uh, to Hamo for jumping on uh, the Red V podcast here tonight. As always, thanks for all your support, Dragons fans. Love doing this podcast for you and hope that you're enjoying uh, all of the content we're creating uh, at the, the off-season mark at the moment. Don't forget, we've also got our Patreon up there uh, where we'll uh, be playing uh, some of the interviews that we We've already done, so you'll get them before anyone else. Patreon.com forward slash Red V Podcast. We had to kind of cut down Ashton, Ashton Sims's chat. Uh, so if you do want to hear the full un, un, uninterrupted interview, uh, you sign up at Patreon. If you sign up um, on, on our, uh, I guess, our $8 tier there, you will get a, a freebie, whether that's a free shirt or free hoodie uh, as part of signing up. So big thanks to all of our uh, Patreons over there. But this uh, concludes episode 93 of the Red V Podcast. Big thanks for everyone tuning in and uh, until episode 94 drops next week we'll update you on everything happening with the St George Illawarra Dragons this is Jack Clifton and Corey Hamo signing off go those mighty dragons Sports Social Podcast Network